1: they can do a great job for you. Just visit the website Johnson'sairconditioning.com and give them a call. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute. We're going to explore presidential powers, including the exercise of war powers. Uh, Andrew Joppa's professor and author of Josephus Savaz, he'll be joining us as well as Larry Bell. Endowed Professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. He's also the author of several books. His latest is uh, How Everything Happened, Including Us. It is February the 3rd, and on this day in 1959, rising Americans and rock stars Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, J.P. Big Bopper, the Big Bopper Richardson, all were killed when their chartered Beechcraft Bonanza plane crashed in Iowa a few minutes after taking off from Mason City on a flight headed for Moorhead, Minnesota. Investigators blamed the crash on bad weather and pilot error. Holly and his band, the Crickets, had just scored a number one hit with That'll Be the Day, after mechanical difficulties with the tour bus. Holly had chartered a plane for his band to fly between stops on the Winter Dance Party tour. However, Richardson, who had the flu, convinced Holly's band member, Waylon Jennings, that's right, Waylon Jennings, to give up a seat, and Richie Valens won a coin toss or the another seat on the plane. This is just an amazing story. These are such great rising rock stars. Uh, Richie Valens was born in Venezuela, in a suburb, uh, a born Richard, Venezuela, I should say, in a suburb of Los Angeles. He, his big song was Donna La Bamba. Uh, singer, Rich, Don McLean, memorialized Holly, Valens, and Richardson. In 1972, a number one hit, American Pie, bye bye, American Pie. Remember that, which referred to February third, nineteen fifty nine, when it was the day the music died. On this day, in nineteen what what was it? Nineteen fifty uh, seven, I think, of nineteen fifty nine. Well, we don't don't have too much COVID uh, information to report because uh, that wasn't reported in the daily news, so numbers must be going down. Uh, Thirty nine. I did find this out, 39,911 folks have been vaccinated in Collier County, at least with one dose, 10.9% of the population, 4,937 have had both doses. So as you can see, with 10, almost 11% of the population, we sh- this, the demand should be starting to decrease a little bit. So if you're on the phone trying to get that appointment uh, or on the computer, uh, it should be becoming more and more possible now. I want to remind you that Cars on 5th, the glitzy automobile show that annually draws thousands downtown Naples, will motor along a few unfamiliar roads this year when it takes place today. I guess it's going to happen on uh, Saturday. The event is from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Saturday. It's the biggest fundraiser of the year for St. Matthew's House, uh, Collier County's lone emergency homeless shelter, which I support, we support, and a provider of thousands of meals and other assistance to the needy. Uh, online tickets now are sold out. They're limiting the number of people who participate because of this COVID business, and everybody's got to wear masks when they tend. But you can get more information by visiting stmatthewshouse.org and then slash cars 2021 or make advance reservations. Uh, there are some VIP tickets that you can get online, and uh, remember, they're I think they're eighty to a hundred dollars. But it supports St. Matthew's House, a great cause, and these car these cars are just Vintage cars, one reputed to be up uh, valued at over fifty million dollars. <laughs> That's a lot of tamales. Naples are going to continue a partnership with Gulf Shore Playhouse toward building a parking garage, but the size of the proposed garage is still uh, under question. The question is, is, it going to be two levels or three levels? The Naples City Council, acting in the community development as the community development redevelopment agency, hard easy for me to say reached a consensus Tuesday to continue the agreement with Gulf Shore Playhouse and approved a memorandum of understanding detailing a partnership among the city, the Playhouse, and the Wynn family doing business in downtown Naples. Uh, Gulf Shore Playhouse is planning a cultural campus near the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodland-Frank Road. The site would include theaters, rehearsal spaces, educational area, according to city documents. Gulf Shore Playhouse plans to break ground on the theater this year. Uh, and uh Kristen Corey, they call her the executive director, but she's actually the founder and producing artistic director, uh, said that the construction should take about eighteen months. Uh, the parking building the parking garage could take about eight months, Corey said. It would become come later into the construction process for Golf Show Playhouse site. The Playhouse's Theater and Education Center is planned to open in the fall of 2023. This is a big deal. I served as board chairman for 15 years at Golf Show Playhouse. When Crystal and I took it from an idea to what it is now today, I'm very proud of the accomplishments. I've moved on in my involvement with golf Shore Playhouse, but it re- is just very dear to me and the great things that they're doing to bring culture, live theater, and great education to downtown Naples. And speaking of education, speaking of uh, entertainment, uh, Linda and I watched uh, the HBO special. It's, a docu- it's not a documentary at all. It's very entertaining. It's called The Undoing. I highly recommend it. It's uh, six episodes, about 55 minutes each. It stars Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, some of the best acting I've ever seen, and it is a thriller, The Undoing uh, on HBO. Well, lawyers for former President Donald Trump filed their response Tuesday afternoon in the House of Representatives, briefing, uh, supporting the article of impeachment that would be the basis for the trial in the Senate that's set to open on uh, February the 9th. Uh, six days from now. They argued that the trial is unconstitutional and that the House factual claims against the former president are false. Earlier, the Democrat-led House filed an 80-page brief that asserted that Trump had committed incitement of insurrection against the republic he swore to protect, which, of course, in my view, is nonsense, but he'll have his day in court to prove that. The brief argued that Trump's speech at the Ellipse on January the 6th and he claims his claims of election fraud incited a crowd to storm the U.S. Capitol. It's also argued that it is constitutional to try to, f- to try a former president, and that the impeachment was proper, even though the House did not follow any of the traditional investigative processes. Republican Senator would prefer Trump simply argue that it's unconstitutional to impeach a former president. They do not want him to argue that he was not guilty of inciting a riot, and most certainly do not want him to argue that there was, in fact, a widespread election fraud. That would be very unsettling. Well, um, quite frankly, I think they're wrong. I think this should be unsettling. They want to have a have a, some sort of a trial. I think the president should pre- present his case, not only that uh, it's unconstitutional, but also that he didn't incite the riot. He has proof of that. And he should also uh, take, again, the uh, whole notion of why they were meeting in the first place, because there was election fraud. I'd like to see the entire thing re- reviewed so that the American people can get all the information. The mainstream media has squeezed this whole situation in such a way that the narrative is uh, supporting uh, the Democrats' case. But he has a case too, and quite frankly, he has nothing to lose. Uh, <laughs> they should He should go on trial. And uh, he should prove his case that number one, he didn't incite the people to a riot. Number two, uh, that uh, he is guilty—he is not guilty uh, of uh, any of the charges—and that number three, he, the, the election was stolen. He should have a chance to prove that in front of the American people. I hope that they'll make that decision. I think a couple of his lawyers left because they didn't want him to uh, to do that. Well, by the way, Florida uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, again, a real hero of mine. I think he's doing a great job. On Tuesday, he proposed a law that would combat big tech's censorship of right-wing political candidates and that blasted the monopoly of communication platforms that monitor and control Floridians. Legislation will target Facebook, Twitter, Google, Amazon, and Apple, according to the Florida Speaker Chris Sproul- Sprouls. Uh, what began as a group of upstart technology companies from the West Coast has since transformed into an industry of monopoly communications platforms that monitor, influence, and control the flow of information in our country and among our citizens, he said. That is during a press conference. Uh, these platforms have played an increasingly decisive role in elections that have negatively impacted Americans who descend from orthodoxies favored by a big tech cartels, he added. Citing former President Donald Trump's removal from Twitter in his final days in the office and restrictions on social media like Parler, Uh, DeSantis said Big Tech has been allowed to manipulate news content and design algorithms that favor the candidates of their choice. That's why in Florida we're going to take aim at those companies and pull back the veil and make sure those guys don't dominate and continue to find loopholes and gray areas uh, to live above the law. Dennis DeSantis said, under our proposal, if a technology company deplatforms a candidate for election office in Florida during an election, that company will face a fine of $100,000 daily until the candidate has access to the platform and it's restored. The bill passed would prevent platforms from rapidly changing standards, allowing people to opt out of content algorithms, create a cause-of-action pathway for legal action, and fine tech companies $100,000 daily for deplatforming political candidates. Unfortunately, I don't think $100,000 a day is going to make a difference to these guys because they are so rich. They're billionaires. Uh, Maybe it should be a percentage of the net worth of the stock. Uh, I'm being facetious. They couldn't do that. But uh, nevertheless, I think it will get their attention. DeSantis said it used to be that consumers uh, were trusted to make their own decisions about what information to consume. He says, well, now they're These decisions are made increasingly more difficult because of these uh, uh, companies. And I just really salute DeSantis for this. I think he's just doing a great job. Just another great decision to protect Floridians from uh, the nefarious things that are going on. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by... Life in Naples magazine, be in the know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. LifeinNaples.net is the website. All right, coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music, in a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly wait has been part of Lulubee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulubees offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulubee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at Lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner open from eight a until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lullaby's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time.
0: back to the Bob <coughs> Harton Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and as you heard, building a new theater in downtown Naples. I hope you'll find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're we'll going to be visiting with Andy Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute and constitutional scholar. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you. So we've been talking about the uh, the executive powers. We've covered a number of them, but right now I'd like to talk and, and focus on war powers. Uh, what's the constitutional framework for war powers for the president as well as uh, Congress?
2: Of course, this is an area where the president, understandably, has a good deal more authority and discretion. And most important, uh, his authority... In foreign affairs includes the power to wage war mm-hmm. as commander in chief of the uh, armed forces. That power still has its its limits. And most importantly, it's about waging war, not about declaring war. Declaring war is Congress's uh, job. Yeah. And second, the Constitution also assigns to Congress and not the president the power to make rules for the government and regulation. Of the land and naval forces, and third, um, as we know in other areas, uh, these things cost money. War, most particularly, yeah. And Congress retains the uh, power of the purse.
1: So interesting. We're seeing troops already show up in Syria. Voila!
2: <laughs> All of a sudden, it's yeah.
1: just amazing. So, how has Congress tried to assert its own authority?
2: Yes, <clears throat> to help, to help resolve the, this debate over. Who has authority in what area? Uh, Congress passed the War Powers Act back in uh, 1973, so we're talking about almost a half century ago, uh, by a two thirds vote, by the way, over a veto by uh, President Nixon. So, under that act, military action is authorized only if there's a declaration of war by Congress or some other statutory authorization or an attack on U.S. interests. And if the de- the war is asserted in the, in response to an attack, then the president has to notify Congress within 48 hours, and Congress must approve within 60 days, or the president is instructed to withdraw all forces. Now, every president since then has declared that he's not going to pay any attention to the War Powers Act. He feels that it's unconstitutional. Some of them have jumped through the hoops simultaneous with the declaration that they're doing it, but they don't have to do it because they don't believe it's constitutional.
1: Yeah, I also point out that, of course, uh, Trump is trying to withdraw troops from all over the world, quite frankly, but what was the War Powers record of Obama during his administration?
2: He ignored the War Powers Act, (laughs) even after he mocked uh, President Bush for uh, abusing uh, his wartime authority. Um, In Libya, for example, Obama relied only on a U.N. resolution. He had no congressional declaration or statutory authority and no attack on U.S. interests. And that was true in Syria as well. Obama threatened imminent military action if his so-called red line on chemical weapons uh, was crossed uh, in Syria. He didn't even have UN support
1: yeah.
2: Um, Trump's policy by contrast, seemed to be to speak loudly but carry a small stick. that I approve of, you know the speak loudly part uh, has its limits. But carrying a small stick uh, means a proper skepticism of nation-building and exporting democracy, transferring resources to foreign countries where our vital interests are not at stake.
1: Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that was uh, Teddy Roosevelt, I think, that first quoted that, if I'm not mistaken. Was that Teddy Roosevelt? Yes, I think so. Yeah, so, I mean, I think, though, uh, I would just suggest that Trump has actually wanted to carry a big stick, meaning he had all the force that uh, needed necessary in order to uh handle any situation so his stick was big and he spoke loudly but he didn't want to be involved in uh, foreign affairs in foreign I,
2: th- I think that's a fair assessment um and i applaud the trump administration for its reluctance to get involved in the, some of these uh exercises that have committed us resources particularly to foreign autocrats yeah uh, where just the opposite of, of uh, exporting democracy, where we've permitted them to extend their their autocratic rule.
1: Yeah, It's uh, flaring up again in Myanmar or, or uh, Burma. <laughs> we'll see yeah. what, how that happens. So, what did the framers have to say about the war powers?
2: Well, originally, uh, the text of the Constitution said that Congress can make war. That was changed to declare war. <clears throat> and that established uh, that the President can supervise the conduct of the war, but only after hostilities are authorized. <clears throat> and there's only been two formal declarations of war since uh, 1900, World War One and World War II. Yeah. And prior to that we had the war of 1812, the Mexi- uh, Mexican American War, and the Spanish American War. Yeah. So we're talking about five wars that have actually been declared by Congress. I mean, a a lot more uh, that we've uh, that we've in, been involved in. So, uh, the president takes over after hostilities are authorized. The animating sentiment at the time of the founding was fear of executive power, this return of the king. Yeah. <clears throat> so, against that backdrop, um, we've uh, <laughs> done our best to uh, reinstall the the king when it comes to the war-making capability. Uh, Obama claimed uh, unilateral wartime powers and few, if any, uh, safeguards. Yeah. Uh, A presumption nearly everything he did in in that arena was okay. So I think it's worth noting that the president is indeed commander-in-chief of the armed forces. He is not commander-in-chief of the entire nation. Yeah. So kudos to President Trump for recognizing uh, that aspect of the presidency.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, and of course, Cato is a libertarian organization. I think you define it as a keep government out of our pocketbooks, our bedrooms, and our what else? I've forgotten now. <laughs> In any event, uh, what do libertarians have? Uh, what, what wars are justified according to libertarians?
2: Well, we have, uh, and others have a a test. Ours happens to be six parts. Uh, First, there has to be a grave public evil to be addressed. Uh, Second, the war has to be authorized by a legitimate public authority. Typically, that means Congress. Mm -hmm. Third, our our vital interests have to be at stake. Mm -hmm. Fourth, we have to be able to achieve success without using force that's grossly uh, disproportionate. Fifth, We take means to avoid collateral damage. And sixth, we first exhaust all of the nonviolent alternatives. Then there there are a couple of add-ons, I think, that are important. A just war ought to have the support of our allies and the support of the public. And we should, in advance, identify what our objectives are and we should have an exit strategy in place. Mm-hmm. So those are the, the criteria that we would look at in determining whether or not a war was uh, justified.
1: And you know, Bob, since the uh, end of the Second World War, war has really morphed into something new. I mean, we, uh, we're not fighting wars. Any kind of sc- uh, scuffles we get in around the world is it's not necessarily to win, but it's to be more of a police power. And 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 then, furthermore, it looks like uh, it's not just guns and bullets and cannons and things like that, but it's uh, cyber warfare and all kinds of other things. That so, it's it's kind of interesting to see how this is all playing out.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the bad news is that uh, there are lots of means by which we can be attacked. Right. Short of outright uh, hot facil- uh, hostilities. Yeah. The good news, however, is that it means that American uh, lives are less at risk when yeah. we can exercise our, our war-making power to the extent that it's justified yeah. by means other than the commitment of U.S. troops.
1: Yeah.
2: So there's a, there's a trade-off there. It, it, it exposes us to things like cyber warfare. On the other hand, gives us a cyber warfare weapon that we would much prefer to use <clears throat> if the alternative is Putting our troops
1: at risk. Yeah, unfortunately when it comes to cyber warfare, we're living in a we're having a rock fight, we're in a, living in a glass house. <laughs> so yes, makes that's, it makes it difficult. Bob believe me. you again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the website, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up we're gonna visit with Andy Joppa. Andy's a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're gonna do that in more Right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're doing the show to provide you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andy Joppa. Andrew Joppa is uh, author. Josephus of Oz, a terrific read, but off for for today's topic. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. So, Andy, we're a week or so into this administration. What are your thoughts? Well,
3: I, I think the, the thoughts are, my thoughts are dominated by two words, hypocrisy and fear. Mm. Uh, I think we're seeing a, an abundance of both of those. For example, uh, recently, uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, uh, in response to the imprisonment of Alexei Navalny in, in Russia, uh, said he was deeply concerned because of Russia's failing to uphold the rights of its citizens. Now, uh, if that uh, is true, and it probably is true, uh, but there's, there's a corresponding reality to that in the United States. So yes. I, if we're talking about hypocrisy, certainly there is a high degree of hypocrisy in this nation uh, uh in any way condemning any other nation for failing to uphold the rights of its citizens. Um, I'd also like to refer to the uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene situation, freshman, woman, congressman uh, right now, uh, obviously has some strange and eccentric ideas. There's absolutely no doubt about it, Uh, but many people are calling for her to uh, not just to be censored, but to be expelled. Uh, I would suggest that Green's uh, positions, although, again, eccentric, are, are certainly no more eccentric than many of, uh, that have been taken by Ocasio-Cortez, uh, by Omar, by uh, Maxine Waters, and, all, and a whole variety of other congresspeople uh, on, the, on the left. So, uh, again, uh, it's an act of hypocrisy to suggest that a, uh, what they call a conservative congresswoman should be expelled, yeah. while those on the left are, are deeply tolerated yeah yeah let no of- let me
1: let me ask you a, a pointy question here because she, you you refer to her as eccentric but uh she's basically filed uh a letter of impeachment against uh, biden because of his acts during as a vice president when he was uh frankly taking money he was uh uh you know uh do take doing illegal acts I think she's totally within her I think she's doing something very unpopular and I think it's against the tide of what people want to do but I think what she's doing is very courageous
3: I think you're absolutely correct in in regards to to that issue. If 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 one person is in uh, as eligible as us use that word uh, to be impeached, it's certainly not the great president, ex president at this point, Donald Trump, right. but uh, president, current president Joe Biden. So, yeah, I think she's absolutely correct in that. I think she's uh, being courageous in taking that point of view. Yeah. So I was not referring to that, but uh, certainly this. Eccentric statements, for example, that uh, Jews are starting forest fires by using a space-based laser beam. I mean, there's there's a deep eccentricity to that. Yes. But actually, I'm, I'm defending Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene, that she has a right to, uh, to those opinions. She's expressed those during her campaign. Uh, she came away with a 75% plurality in her district in Georgia. Uh, and again, uh, this this uh, double standard—I would call it the the hypocrisy of the of the left—is manifest. The issue you brought up, uh, uh, really, it's a, it's a valid position, uh, and certainly far more valid than any attempt to uh, to uh, impeach citizen Donald Trump at this point. Yeah. Um, Another issue This uh, sort of, uh, again, I'm going to be jumping around a little bit, but they're all about fear or hypocrisy, Bob, as as a general theme. Uh, Mike Lindell was recently uh, somewhat censored. No, not somewhat, he was. He canceled out of his interview on Newsmax because he dared to bring up the issue of the Dominion voting machines. Now, uh, certainly Newsmax was not being asked to validate what Lindell was saying. He was there as a uh, as a guest to be interviewed, right. and yet they shut him down completely and that 's a fear issue bob they 're right. terrified of even having a guest in some vague way align them uh, with that kind of challenge to the Dominion process right. now that could be a liability issue because Dominion has already brought suit uh, i guess i think it 's against Giuliani, so they may be uh, not so much a political fear but a, a liability fear, but yeah. nevertheless it 's a fear based uh, a fear based issue. Uh, mitch mcconnell getting i'm just jumping around i know that bob but there's yeah. certainly many issues that are on the plate right now mitch mcconnell has uh, supported liz cheney yeah. uh, as to why he's crossing uh, across from the senate into the house which is generally considered verboten or at least it's it's uh, certainly is as uh, not seen as an appropriate thing to do uh supported liz cheney now liz cheney there's no attempt. No intent to expel this Cheney from her congressional position. Uh, it was just to remove her from her leadership role in the Republican Party. Yeah. Uh, so McConnell's defense of her uh, is is poorly founded. He defended her right to free speech and to be, you know, to uh, being able to think clearly and freely, as he as he put it. Uh, but on the other hand, this is a matter of a, a battle for the heart of the Republican Party, and McConnell, who uh, was, I, I. Just can never get my my finger on McConnell in terms of uh, who he is or what he is and why he's doing it. But he has supported the uh, the the uh, the, uh, the I guess the leadership role of 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 Liz Cheney, as I would see it.
1: Bob. Yeah, he sees uh, What about the people in Wyoming who sent her there? To me, I mean, it's their the most important opinion is theirs, quite frankly. And I don't think they want her in Congress right now, and I don't think she's going to be recalled. But I think, uh, quite frankly, uh, Mitch McConnell should stay in his lane. (laughs) He's basically making statements that wants to support uh, business as usual. He wants to support uh, the whole notion of, I'm going to call it the deep state for a better word. I, I think McConnell
3: ultimately is trying to minimize, if not eliminate, any influence of Donald Trump as time goes forward. Uh, I think that's a personal animus that's uh, been expressed on on, on multiple occasions. Uh, But again, I think that is the the ultimate intent of, of Mitch McConnell. And of course, that would align itself with what the Democrats are doing by the impeachment process, the conviction trial as it would be uh, that starts on February 8th. Right. Uh, this is not any real intent to, and by the way, very un- unconstitutional intent uh, to impeach Donald Trump, which is not legally possible, uh, but to in some way prevent him from ever being able to seek uh, federal office uh, again. Right. And I think Mitch McConnell is, is deeply on board with that particular premise at this point, Bob.
1: Absolutely, and by the way, uh, I'm very proud of uh, our governor st- uh, stepping up and and uh, really addressing the whole issue of free speech and uh, political power with regard to the uh, the tech companies, the big tech companies. He just made a statement yesterday. That he's proposing legislation to fine them $100,000 a day when they, uh, for example, deplatform or or make, for example, as they've done with President Trump, make uh, his twitters. Uh, unavailable uh, or tweets unavailable. So I'm very, I'm very proud of him. I'm very glad that he did that because quite frankly, what we're seeing in this administration right now is silencing or destroying dissenting voices and it's, it needs to be addressed.
3: Well so I think, uh, I think DeSantis is a, uh, an exemplary leader. I think he is, uh, perhaps at this, at this point, within my knowledge at least, which may be limited, but uh, within my knowledge, uh, the best governor, the best administrative governor in, in the country right now. I saw him last night uh, being interviewed and he indicated that there is a, a, a possibility, perhaps even a strong possibility, that his position on big tech as it pertains to uh, their, uh, their illegal, illegal, let's say, elimination of platforms for, uh, for people who are not in the, in the right uh, voice uh, certainly may have a nationwide uh, implication i certainly hope i certainly hope that's that's true bob yeah
1: i do too so i mean what are your thoughts about the this uh china and and the foreign involvement that uh biden is expressing with regard to some red lines he can't cross
3: well uh, the chinese uh, spokesperson uh yesterday the before yesterday indicated that there are uh, certain red lines that the uh biden administration cannot cross they did not quite indicate what kind of retaliation would be used, but they pointed out uh, Tibet, uh, Taiwan, Hong Kong uh, as all well, areas that are, uh, are off-limits uh, mm-hmm. to the American government. I would sor- strongly suggest with uh, some validities, uh, I, ple- I believe history would have uh, proved proved the validity of what I'm going to say. They never would have made these comments if Donald Trump was uh, was still in the presidency. Yeah. So I think we're seeing the the early uh, signs of a of, of a Chinese government that feels comfortable with the ability to uh, to manipulate uh, the Biden administration. And I think they'll be quite successful, uh, either because of the inability to fight back or the willing, or the unwillingness to fight back. Which, um, if we look at the alignments of the Biden family and the Biden uh, administration, with. Uh, the CCP, I think it's probably the, the unwillingness rather than the inability to push back.
1: Well, well, to say it bluntly, I mean, he sold out. His family sold out to the Chinese, and, uh, you know, they're holding him to account.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's always payback time. I think there's a dossier on the the Biden family that is probably two or three feet thick in the, in the CCP. So uh, I think there's a, a strong pressure the CCP can exert. Uh, I'm going to use the word blackmail advisedly, but I think we are we can presume that there'll be some degree of pressure exerted by what I will call blackmail based on the, the history of the Biden family uh, interacting with the CCP particularly. Bob. All
1: right. Well, I want to take a little break here, Andy. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
0: Tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network.
1: Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for, Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs, and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692 9840 or visit the website nadckids.com you'll be glad you did
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton show and now here's your host Bob Harton
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show it's brought to you part by the Foundation for Government Accountability one of the programs is uh, getting able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we continue the conversation with Andy Joppa. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Andy. So uh, right now, we're seeing a lot of uh, uh, corporations uh, expressing you know, concerns around social issues. Well, we just want to get your thoughts on that.
3: Well these social issues are, are not only concerns but they're being used as a basis by the uh, by the investment industry uh, as to where to direct their funds and how to uh, advise their their customers in these areas mm-hmm. uh, it's the e s g area bob comprised of environmental issues social issues and, and governance issues and it suggests rather than the the efficiency of the company its bottom line it's uh, it's, it's outcomes in terms of quarterly or even annual profitability. Uh, the filter that's being used is the, the the company's commitment to those issues, environmental issues, social and governance issues. Um, I, I'm i a big adherent to uh, Milton Friedman, the monetarist out of the University of Chicago, mm-hmm. who back during the 70s said that the only social responsibility of the American corporation is to make profit. Now, that isn't a callous opinion. What, what Friedman was suggesting, it's, it's, it's within profit that all other things flow, and that if a company yields to any other uh, issue other than making profit, that the outcome, in terms of the general well-being of the society, will be damaged. So with the ESG concept, the one that I just alluded to, uh, we're going to see the, the companies moving into far less efficient and far less meaningful forms, plus since this is a very vague concept at this point, it will enable the government to basically manipulate the direction mm-hmm. the choices being made by American corporations uh, by pressuring them into those issues uh, that are within the uh, the intent of the administration. So uh, it's a dangerous political concept. I think it's a dangerous economic concept, and I think it's just the wrong direction for uh, for the American economy to be to be going at this point. And yet ESG. Is now uh, in fact dominating approximately one-third of the direction of investment funds in America. Bob,
1: that's very concerning. I I forgotten who said the word, but I, the the number one obligation of any private or public business. Is to make a profit, and the re- for reason for that is to be able to continue servicing clients and continue providing the the benefits. Uh, if you're not making a profit, you can't stay in business. So, absolutely, that is the first. But I'm, you know, I think about what's happening in the NFL, what's happening in NBA basketball, what's happening in college football, all these uh, social expressions that are way off base annoying the heck out of me, reducing my willingness to watch, you know, uh, for example, I, I, I've even got less, my uh, desire to watch the football has been reduced because of these social, me- social messages.
3: Well, it, it, speaking of that, Bob, I just was uh, becoming aware that uh, Cory Booker and Blumenthal, uh, Senator from uh, Connecticut, have called for uh, a tremendous pay distribution uh, based on profitability in college sports. Uh, which would break down to approximately $176,000 per college football athlete, and this would go across the the entire expanse of, of college sports. Hmm. So instead of uh, college being the academic breeding ground, it's going to become, as it has been for many years, the uh, the the farm team of the NFL. Uh, and and rather than these these players coming there to get an education, they will come there to to make a living, and I, I have no problem anywhere with anyone making a living, but yeah. the college environment should not be the place where that is the primary focus, and yet people like Cory Booker, and when you're talking about two prominent senators, you're talking about something that has, in this climate that we're in right now, a strong possibility of, of being implemented.
1: Now, Let me take a step back. Uh, you know, what I'm observing, I'm watching government... Uh, Doing unlawful things. I'm watching our government behave in a way that's not constitutional. Do you have any thoughts on that? I have only thoughts on that bob uh,
3: almost my entire public experience here in in naples since i came in in 2005 has been dedicated to trying to create mechanisms or consider uh, mechanisms that might restrain the federal government uh, not from acting legally certainly but for uh, acting in matters that are far beyond their mandate i had. Uh, originally started to talk about, and I made, I think, it was a presentation that you were at, as, a, as I remember, at the Hilton in, in 2012 on the elimination of stare decisis, yeah. the elimination of, of, of precedent as the binding factor for Supreme Court rulings. Uh, my basic position then was that uh, the Supreme Court rulings must be driven by the original wording of the Constitution, the, the elimination, or at least the minimization, of the impact of stare decisis, the intent being to keep the federal government in its cage. From there, I, I I somewhat migrated into support of the Article 5 Amendment Convention. Uh, I was the uh, group coordinator here in southwest Florida. Uh, the, um, the Article 5 Amendment process is still going forward with the Convention of States. It's it's very slow, and uh, I, I have become somewhat not, not disillusioned with its its intent or its content but uh, with the progression of events and it just doesn't seem to have the ability to fulfill itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right now I'm going to be moving into something extremely controversial and that's something that has had a long history in America, a long long debated history uh, and that's the area of nullification. Now, uh, for your uh, listeners who aren't familiar with that, nullification is the right of a state, any state, or a compact of states. To reject a blatantly uh, illegal position taken by the federal federal government. Yep. Now, historically, that has been uh, put into the hands of uh, of the of the Supreme Court. They are the ones that determine constitutionality. But if your issue is the federal government, the Supreme Court, all the federal courts are obviously part of that federal government. Uh, so it seems, in my estimation, inappropriate to ask a uh, an agent of the federal government to rule on that on, on that illegality right. uh, if we go back to the origins of nullification it was widely supported uh, by thomas jefferson james madison uh, and it's one of these issues bob that i like to uh, put under the the house of what i call the broken arrow position so, in vietnam broken arrow was a radio call that you would make to have artillery uh, shells hit your position because your position was so uh, so overrun with the enemy uh, that it, the risk of, of your being damaged by it uh, was far less significant than the, the ability to take out the enemy. So these are broken arrow positions, Bob. And what I mean by that, to, to sort of put that into focus, is that we're in such a desperate situation in terms of federal government overreach that many things that would not be advised or even talked about uh, in In normal times are, are ones that uh, now uh, produce a a significance that uh, that I think is is worth discussing so i 'm going to be writing about nullification and and looking to make public pres- uh, presentations on the issue of nullification.
1: Bob. All right. Well, Andy, I want to uh, expand this discussion sometime in a future show because I think you're on to something right there, Andy Joppy. Again, Josephus of Oz is the name of the book. It's a terrific read. I hope you take a look at it, Andy. Always appreciate your so well informed and thoughtful commentary here in the show. thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk soon, Bob. Thank you so much. All right. Coming up, we're going to be visiting. Uh, with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of so many books he's written books on climate change his latest book is How Everything Happened, including us, we're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network Bob
1: Harden. thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want you to check out Choice Social. It's a great new app, a refreshing new social network introduced to me by a friend. You can download the app, uh, or go to choice social us website is is the best way to go. Uh, we have with us Professor Larry Bill, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of several books. His latest is How Everything Happened, including Us, and he's written several books on climate change that are so interesting. Uh, scared witless, of the prophets and prophets of climate doom. His latest on, social, on uh, climate change is the one that comes to mind first. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor. And uh, you're, right, you're calling for Newsmax, and your latest is about the Expect Overheated Climate Reports, Advancing Radical Energy Agendas. And my goodness, the agenda right now for uh, trying to get rid of fossil fuels and make everything as alternative energy, it's clear and it is uh, front and center. What are your thoughts? Yeah,
4: I think uh, we're going to see a lot of Alarming reports. I saw another one that somebody passed along. Just uh, I think it was yesterday about how you know we're see uh, we're doomed. You know the oceans are going to rise, and we're, it's our SUVs that are causing it. You know the glaciers are melting <clears throat> for the first time in you know millions of years, I suppose. But <laughs> it's just absolutely insane. But but you can imagine they're going to get a lot more of it with uh, you know this. President uh, Biden planning to sign out to the Paris Climate Treaty and Climate Climate agree- Agreement, really. And, uh, you know, it's going to get pretty hysterical. Uh, we're going to see more of this stuff. And uh, so just, just uh, you know, try to hold your breath and not believe all of it. Yeah. Well, well. another article last week that uh, I think is, is quite insightful that and it relates to this very much. and it has, titles prepare for energy shortages, class hikes, and rationing, and I think uh, you know that's probably it's a, it's an article I've been wanting to write for a very long time. Uh, I think it's a very important one because it it, it, it talks about some things that we're all seeing here a lot about, which is we hear about climate and energy justice. Mm. If you're scratching your head, wanting to know what climate and energy justice is. Uh, it ain't quite, uh,
1: perhaps, what you think it is. What is it, Professor?
4: Well, I, as I read it, you know, it's just really a do-good thing. We're going to... If you don't drive your SUV and we buy each other electric vehicles, then, then uh, hey, there's going to be... You know, it's just going to be marvelous because, uh, the, you know, everything's going to run on electricity. And, uh, and meanwhile... With electricity, we're going to, you know, say, well, where, where does electricity come from? You so, say, well, you know, it comes to my wall socket. You know, I just plug it in. Mm-hmm. And my car runs, you know, it's free. <laughs> and then you kind of wonder, well, you yeah, but where's the other side of the, the plug? I mean, does it connect to a windmill? Or, yeah. or sun pan- a solar panel? Or whatever. I mean, where, you know, that's really a great idea. But I'm also hearing that you want to, you know, you shut down fossil fuels. And, uh. I always get, I always had the idea that that eight some eighty some percent of our energy comes from fossil fuels. Now we get we get pretty good amount from from nuclear. We're going to shut those down too. Hmm. And uh, in, unless you live in the Pacific Northwest, we're not going to we're not going to any water po- and more water power hydropower, because uh, you know environmentalists don't want to build any dams. In the fact, they want to tear down a lot of the dams we already have because they kill fish. So i just kind of scratch my head and said, "Well, yeah, but where does all this, where is this electricity come from?" Yeah. Well, we're just gonna we're just going to. What we're going to do is, we're yeah, we're going to you know give me a break. We're going to. We don't need energy independence from, you know, from you know, from uh, oil. We'll. We'll just we'll just run things on windmills and sunbeams, and when the sun isn't shining, or it's getting a little bit, and, and the clouds, and the wind isn't blowing. we'll we. We'll just store that. We'll just store that energy in, in in batteries. We'll just build. We'll pay to buy all these batteries.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, but you know the batteries are they are they clean? Are they environmentally safe? Yeah, they're really clean. Well, how do you where do you get the rare earths from them? Oh, it's simple. We'll buy it from China. We'll buy the lithium and 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 materials from China. Yeah. And and yeah, hey, they, they promised to you know rejoin the Paris agreement, and you know 15 years from now, they promised they're gonna just you know on their honor they you know they're going to they're going to start stop building new coal plants yeah. and then that'll be great and we'll all be friends and the world will be better and the, and the polar bears will be good yeah. so so all this energy justice is is to say so then it takes this stuff further so well hey you know besides that we'll have energy justice and climate justice and, and and I looked it up. I was saying, well, how do you get climate justice? It got better. We can we can avoid gender climate injustice and gender energy injustice. Mm-hmm. And I, I went to a bunch of scientific papers because there's a whole bunch of them. this now, I, my God, my God, I don't want to disrespect my wife. She's she you know, and, and and you know, or where, where basically I'm doing injustice to her because I'm driving my SUV. Well, she's got one too. And, and I couldn't figure out exactly how women and men are disproportionately affected by energy. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but nevertheless, it, it creates a lot of gender studies opportunities for, for universities. And God knows they need the money right now with COVID. Yeah. So it's, it's all this circular thinking. But, but, but what happens is, and here's the kicker, here's what you can look forward to. Once we kill energy, and, and we, we and we learn these, these wonderful wonderful lessons from California that's having all these brownouts and blackouts because a they don't produce enough uh, electricity of their own and, and they're having trouble buying it from other states when the other states need it, and you see how you have these blackouts and brownouts. How do you run your electric car? Yeah, I mean that's it comes that kind of comes out of that. You say, well, gee, I'm having trouble. I'm having trouble running my car now. Black well, well, we're going to have energy justice. So what we're going to do is—is is tell me now how big is your house? Well, so many square feet. Well, how many people do you have? It well, so many people. Well, you're you're exceeding your energy allowance. We <laughs> want to have energy justice. So, tell you what, um, you're using way more energy than you want. You can. We have a deal for you. We're going to have. You can pee into a pool, and you can buy energy credits from somebody who has a smaller house. Uh, and and you can, we'll have a little rationing. We don't want to call it that, but we'll, we'll ration electricity because your smart meters also telling us, you've got too much red meat in your, in your refrigerator, and, and these, uh, these flatulent cows are also, are also contributing yeah. methane to, to the environment, and, and you're killing the polar bears. So, so you're way beyond your your, your allowance. Yeah, so we want you to downsize. We got this. We got this great deal for you in this in this uh, in this high rise. We want to put you in with everybody else, so we can have energy justice, and you can move, You know, you can live in the, just like everyone else. I mean, my God, it worked great in, in Venezuela and, and everywhere else. Professor, we'll all live together in this in this ant farm that we have planned for you. And, and you can drive a, a government-owned Uber Yeah. and, uh, well, you know, pay gas tax. So the highways won't very, be very good because taxes, you know, pay, pay for the highways. So, hey, not to worry. Well, there'll be a little surcharge now for your electric car you uh. know, to, to have, a, have a street to ride on. So it's, it's absolutely an uh, uh, unbelievable deal.
1: And, yeah, and, well, yeah. it Doesn't take very long to
4: figure it out.
1: Yeah, professor. Of course, all this is based on science, right? <laughs> is, this is the direction we're going. But it's uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, we don't alt- we don't need alternative energy. I mean, we have we have uh, carbon based fuels, which basically it's plant food. We we breathe out carbon dioxide. The plants take it in and uh, they uh, breathe out oxygen, and it's a wonderful cycle that nature has created for us but this is all based on phony false science, which is so egregious. Professor, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. And again, I, I just want, for everything that you said, we, we, we heard a lot. Just take a look at Scared Witless, The Prophets and Prophets of Climate Doom. A great read, and it'll help you better understand the science and religion and everything else behind uh, this climate change business. Also, Professor's latest book, uh, How Everything Happened, Including Us, going 13 billion years back and going up to today. Professor, I always appreciate your commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure, indeed. Oh, what a an what a awful picture he just painted, and that's, what, that's the road we're going down with this climate justice nonsense. That's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you'll join us tomorrow. We'll visit with a lot of special guests. Uh, by the way, if you, I'd appreciate if you, uh, if you have any thoughts about the show. Send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I'll tell your friends about the show, too. It's, uh, the, it's expanding and growing. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.